You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Ideafar Malaysia. Hey listeners, welcome to episode 5 of Diplomatic Dispatch. For this episode, the topic is Common but Differentiated Responsibilities or the short form is CBDR. Common but Differentiated Responsibilities is a principle whereby Malaysia was a major proponent of leading discussions on behalf of the developing world at the Rio Earth Summit in 1992. 30 years on, let's look at the principle. Has it retained its original support base? Has this changed? And if so, in what way? How does CBDR figure in the recently concluded COP26? And what is Malaysia's position vis-a-vis the CBDR now? With us is Madam Aznifa Isnariah binti Abulghani. She is the Undersecretary of Multilateral Economy and Environment since September 2020. She has been with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs since 2002. And she is also an alumna of the Diplomatic Training Post IDFR 2005. Welcome, Madam Asnifa, for joining the conversation to enlighten us on the topic. The principle of CBDR holds that although all countries are accountable in the global climate issue, each has a different set of capabilities that they contribute. Can you explain the difference in the responsibilities, especially between the developed countries and the developing countries? Thank you so much uh, for the question. And yes, indeed, this is a very important, a very fitting and very relevant question to ask. The context of climate change, as we see today, it's a very, very important one. Uh, it's not something that countries would want to look past without even considering the consequences, both economic and social costs that are involved without thinking about its real consequences. And in some extent, some countries suffer greatly or suffer tangibly more than others with regard to climate change and climate-related disasters and incidents. So before we really go into this whole contextual understanding of the common but differentiated responsibilities, it's essentially a principle that had been fought and negotiated really, really hard by developing countries. And this had its roots, like you you rightly pointed out, it had its roots at the 1992 Earth Summit. And Malaysia at the time were one of those very vocal and strong proponents uh, alongside other developing countries saying that while we have a common agenda, while we have a common idea that we want to conserve, we want to protect the environment from further deterioration, from further um, destruction, we have slightly different ways in terms of our own responsibilities in in ways we deal with this um, environmental protection. What it simply means is that developed countries, the richer countries, the more affluent countries, more responsibilities, whereas um, the developing countries would have to take equal measure in that of the developed countries. And this is simply because the developing countries are essentially less affluent, less capabilities in undertaking certain um, level of climate action mm. or mitigation or adaptation measures because, you know, they're not, they're, they're less rich. 
simply that they have certain capacity drawbacks so so these are this are this is essentially the argument developing mm. countries they need more assistance in order for them to take greater ambition to climate action developed countries on the other hand they have been they have more advanced economies they have greater gdp per capita they have greater access to technology so essentially they have the right recipes to assist developing countries in reaching their climate goals so that's the common aspect is common idea which is to protect the planet from yeah, future okay. destruction right, the differentiated enough. responsibilities lies in how much one country can do as opposed to another so this is mm-hmm. the whole idea the whole argument mm-hmm. So as for Malaysia, we have achieved four mandates uh, given by the cabinet for COP26, including negotiations on rules governing international carbon markets. Um, Can you please enlighten us about the bilateral and multilateral agreements that Malaysia has had? Okay, so the question that you're asking me, they're quite unrelated. They're two segmented issues and totally, well, the nexus is not quite there, if I might say. But let me just address them nonetheless. Um, mm. On the one hand, yes, we, Malaysia received the, the relevant mandates uh, before we enter negotiations or attend any big meetings, which are convention. Uh, that, that, that's actually a treaty body. This is, mm. this is normal. This is a very it's an administrative uh, approach that we normally take uh, before we take on a position by the government outside the country. So yes, we went to COP26. The country went to COP26. The delegation went there and, mm. and parties to, to the UNFCCC um, delightfully managed to agree on the Paris rulebook now. Um, the Paris rulebook, among others, governs how carbon markets are managed. Right. Mm. So, um, so this has been agreed upon. So, this is more in the context of if state parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change wish to undertake different mechanisms to uh, to offset carbon. So, there needs to be a rule or set of rules that govern these kinds of um, approaches. Right. So, thankfully, the parties of the COP26 has agreed. To the to the set of rules governing carbon markets, so what be, what needs to be done now is basically how countries will have to um, come up with their own guidelines, their own rules in accordance with what's uh, laid out by the uh, Paris Agreement. That's basically it. In so far as um, on a separate issue, uh, what based on what you've asked, bilateral multilateral agreements that Malaysia has had. Well, Malaysia, I don't think I can share with you exactly what kind of bilateral agreements on environment we, we've had because that, that I will have to speak to my colleagues who are in a better position to explain but I do know that we have we are looking into a some kind of an MOU with the UK on some right. on, on environmental issues but I don't think that the details have been spelled out just yet mm. or there's been any any solid decision on that one just yet and so far as multilateral agreements well Paris agreement is one multilateral agreement and Malaysia mm. has uh, gone on board with that um, and of course you know the sunsetting of um, Kyoto but of course there are many others yeah under the different conventions that Malaysia is party to whether they are Montreal Protocol Ramza, Stockholm, uh, among others. And then, of course, in future, or rather right now, the environment experts are also looking at, within the context of multilateralism, uh, looking at a, you know, 
um, negotiating a new treaty to eliminate the use of plastics. That's probably not the right name. So it's it's basically it's a global treaty on plastics. That's probably something that we all thinking about right now. So I, it's just premature to talk about Malaysia's involvement, mm. but it is a multilateral uh, mm. treaty that will be that is likely to be established at some mm. point. But the plannings are always there. Yeah, it was agreed at the United Nations uh, Environment Assembly in March that it, negotiations for a global treaty or agreement will take place at some point. When we zoom in at the regional level, how about the ASEAN's commitment? Which country can we regard as as vocal as Malaysia, for example, or as proactive as Malaysia in the CBDR principle? Okay, so for ASEAN, um, as you know, ASEAN is composed of 10 countries, and these are very diverse countries with regard to its socioeconomic patterns, their socioeconomic abilities. So um, each country will have their own ways of doing their, you know, insofar as climate action is concerned. But if you want to look at how each of these countries are like with CBDR, Basically, they're just one of those countries, just like Malaysia, that signed on to it back in 1992. And, and we still, and these countries, including Malaysia, we still hold very strong conviction on what CBDR is supposed to be and essentially what it should look like. But you're asking whether who is more vocal than the other, that's quite <laughs> relative. I think I can, it's, I can safely say that everyone is on the same page when it comes to CBDR. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the same ideas, believes in the same things that ultimately... Uh, developing countries need the necessary support in order for them to take on greater climate action yes. and have deeper ambitions to address climate problems. Mm-hmm. Even among the ASEAN countries, we have different capacities, we have different yes. capabilities, yes. and perhaps maybe different accountability, I suppose. But however, as you said, I mean, all of us, we are committed towards a healthier uh, climate issue. Yes. Okay. So Malaysia is committed to upholding the CBDR principle. Uh, can you share with us the inter-ministries initiatives uh, about mm. the collaboration so far? Well, okay. Upholding CBDR as a principle is one thing. But, you know, um, initiatives are separate. These are totally two different things when you're talking about a, a common goal. But they are different tracks. Initiatives are initiatives and the other is essentially just principles. But insofar as principles are concerned, this is something of as far as Malaysia is concerned. Mm-hmm. What by extension, our agencies, our line ministries, or the custodian agencies of, of these issues, whether they are environment, whether they are sustainability or development, they sign on to the same principles. They sign on to the same mandate. Inter-ministries initiatives and collaborations, there's been so many. I can't even start. We have campaigns, we have ideas or discussions on how best we can promote certain ideas that we have. Malaysia has always taken a a leadership role on on forestry, for example. We've got collaborations in in how we could push certain agenda on on afforestation, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, on certain agendas on plastics, for example, on even um, development, or perhaps even um, on how to curb maybe circular economy or blue economy that we have all these um, ideas across with various agencies and these can mean both at the federal and state levels given the diversity is including our own legal system so we do what we can within the confines of these barriers how about the non-state's role how do we gear how do we gear the grassroots and get them to join this commitment oh there's plenty of ways to do it Mm. i think for a start we shouldn't just look at just bureaucrats like us right Um, Of course, there's so many that we can offer. There's so many we can do. But I think what's also important is uh, community leaders 
And by that, I also mm-hmm. mean parliamentarians. I also mm-hmm. mean uh, lawmakers because mm-hmm. they are the most visible in terms of you know their own grassroots, right? So um, it's good. It would be good to to see more lawmakers, parliamentarians talk about. Um, the importance of environmental sustainability, the importance mm-hmm. of environmental conservation, and them taking concrete and, and concerted efforts, not just amongst themselves, but amongst mm-hmm. their family members, including their colleagues, and how serious these issues are. And in fact, if they could inject this whole agenda in their day-to-day and, and, and show it to their own constituencies, I think I think we would make huge strides by reaching out to grassroots. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, I think there's also, you know, at the ministerial level, there's a lot of SEPA or um, communication, education, and public awareness uh, initiatives and activities that we're trying to reach out to its own um, stakeholders and that, that would address climate change in their confines, no matter how small, no matter how uh, insignificant it may be, but it's still doing something rather than nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing amongst the ministerial level, but mm-hmm. also, um, we also have, for example, the uh, all-party parliamentary group Malaysia uh, SDG. They, they are, or for yes. short, they are called APPGM SDG. They actually anchor a secretariat at the Parliament of Malaysia where they actually hold or assist parliamentarians to actually do SEPA-related activities on, on sustainability or environment mm. at grassroots. You can see this kind of structured activities taking place that cuts across all parties uh, at the Parliament. But um, I think that's more, much more that can be done apart from that. I, I think uh, our own lawmakers, when, you know, when they go back to their constituencies, I think pretty much more can be done for them to effectively transmit these kinds of ideas uh, yes. and inspire their own grassroots. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Because sometimes, I mean, we have such a big ideas at the bureaucrat level, at the ministerial levels, but unfortunately, maybe it does not grasp well at the grassroots level. So, yeah, I'm sure there are still a lot of things uh, to be done. Anyway, one step at a time, uh, we will get there. Okay, there's one, um, one bonus question before we end this. <laughs> before we end this episode. Okay. Uh, in your CV, you describe yourself as a mother to three monsters. <laughs> so, as, as a mama monster, how does being a mother influence your passion in this, uh, you know, climate issue, in this oh, global okay. climate issue, yes? Oh, plenty, plenty ways of how I influence the monsters at home. I mean, to start with, I, uh, it's simple as their laundry. Um, things that do not need to be washed every day does not need to be washed every day. Uh, mm. And, and when, when, you know, when we have food at home and we eat our meals, um, everyone's encouraged not to waste their food. Um, and, and, you know, the food waste we create, we, uh, you know, I try to... Um, share with them the importance of, you know, keeping food scraps for um, other things, other purposes, so we could, mm-hmm. you know, use it as, as fertilizers, uh, ultimately. So that's how we try to, you know, inject yes. some ideas, uh, cultivating um, a more healthy, um, climate-friendly environment at home. At home, yes. Yeah, in small mm-hmm. ways that we can. Probably yes. also cultivate worms for our um, the small garden patch. Uh, yes, compost <laughs> fertilizer, right? Compost fertilizer. Yes. So save water, recycle, reuse. Yes. So, yes. Okay. And limit our food waste. Yes, definitely. Alhamdulillah. Indeed, as um, there's a saying says that we don't inherit the earth. In fact, we borrow it from our children. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome, Dr. Najwa. Thank you for joining us. I am Dr. Najwa Abdul-Ghaffar from IDFR. And this has been another episode in the Diplomatic Dispatch series. Thank you.
tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast, Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.